Hello and welcome to Seafood Matters Podcast, the voice of the UK seafood industry. I'm your host, Jim Cowie. In this episode, I am engaging with Professor Michelle Stanley, a doctor of philosophy focused in plant pathology and mycology from Queen's University, Belfast, with over 23 years research experience in the area of biochemistry and molecular biology, Michelle currently serves the UK seafood industry as the Associate Director for Science, Enterprise and Innovation at the Scottish Association for Marine Science, commonly known as SAMS. My name's Michelle Stanley. I'm originally from Northern Ireland uh, and I worked, oh, well, my PhD, my doctorate was on bananas, diseases of bananas. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, when I did my PhD, the, the government decided that you didn't need plant pathologists, um, which led to an interesting segue in, into the marine environment because they decided that I'd probably be sympathetic to seaweed. Um, and since about sort of 1996, I've, I've worked with seaweeds um, and microalgae and, and not looked back. So at the moment, I'm based and have been for the nearly 16 years uh, at the Scottish Association for Marine Science outside Oban. Um, and we probably have one of the, the largest seaweed groups in the UK. Is the place in Auburn, is that Dunstaffinage? Yeah, that's Dunstaffinage, yes. Uh, I've been there and I've been involved years. Um, my background's the fishing industry. And although I've got a restaurant now, it's a seafood restaurant, so I still class myself in the fishing industry, either that, as opposed to the hospitality industry. Uh, when I was involved there, they were doing tests with a farming halibut. Are they still doing that? No, I mean, it, it's so the history of, of, of SAMS itself, but, you know, it, it, as, a, as an organisation, it dates back to 1884 uh, and it started off life in Edinburgh before it then moved across to um, Dunoon. So it was in, in Dunoon till about the late 1960s. And then it made the move up to where we are now um, at Dunstaffinage. And, and it varies what, what we do. There was fishery science that sort of, um, sort of, you know, come and gone. It's like a lot of things in science, things come and go. Uh, and, you know, it, we do have Clive Fox who, who's here uh, and he does work on, in terms of fisheries, but it's not, not so much experimental stuff with with fish. It's more, you know, what's happening out, would like to say, in the real world. But, yeah, what's happening in the real world. Yeah. I remember one funny situation with the guys in Dunstaffinage. They were taking halibut, matured halibut, from, and they were changing them over uh, in a, a car park uh, near Fort William, and 
one of them fell and it was actually flapping over the on the road in the car park. But it was absolutely no, it was not harmed in any way. You know, it's it survived and went into the wilds and 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 that. But it was really quite funny to think that a fish could be flapping on a car park and then still make the sea. So it's it's you know we we have some of the researcher involved with skate, um, and there it's on the news a while ago about the the egg that finally hatched. Um, so we we have been involved. Yeah, it, it, sort of in, in that kind of research, and that was with um, Nature Scotland. Okay, yeah. And obviously your subject is seaweed, and I have to say that it's something that goes a long, long way with me as a kid. I played in the rocks, and uh, I another a lasting memory for me and I every time I I'm in Dulce uh, which is a seaweed I just think is an absolute fantastic seaweed uh, every time I use it now we use it in a restaurant and uh, but as a kid my father used to take it home from the beaches <laughs> and in our front room sitting room he used to roast it in front of the fire so you can imagine the smell in the sitting room but no it was it was what you did and I still get that smell when I when I'm working with dulse yeah it's it's a really nice seaweed so it's it's we we like to use latin names because you know people have common common names for seaweed and they can vary depending where you're from. I mean, Dulles, right. yeah, that's the same. The Irish use the, ter- the word Dulles. Okay. Uh, and it, it was sold um, where I originally from, a place called Bangor. And the fishmonger used to sell little paper bags of it. Um, and he'd go out and, and gather it from a place called Donegadee. Uh, and I have, when I was at, so I did a, did a while in um, the West Midlands in Birmingham before I came up here to Sam's. And I used to, when I was visited home, I used to buy a couple of bags for one of the the, the other researchers um, in the lab in Birmingham because he really loved it. He used to microwave it. So I've, that 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 is news now. That's wonderful. You actually sold it in bags. Uh, so yeah, I used to you know it was it was less than a it was you know fifty p to a pound for a little little paper bag. Um, so so yeah, and it's. I think sometimes we we miss that bit of tradition. So I mean, Dulles was used as well um, to dye Harris tweed at one stage. So I think we we miss that bit of connection of, of our history with seaweed and and where it was used and and how it was used. Yeah. And uh, what's your what's your, the main uses you have for it now, Michelle? Uh, so it, it varies. I mean, we're we're involved in a variety of different different projects, um, and at the moment, one of the largest projects is a, a, a European funded project called Astral, uh, and we're looking at um, cultivation of brown seaweeds, so the kelps, uh, and that's linked into uh, co-cultivation. So we actually have at the moment native oysters at the site because seaweed brown brown seaweed cultivation. 
um, you have it there, you put it in early October and, and then you harvest sort of late April, you know, early May. And then the site's not sitting, the site's sitting there not doing anything. So, so we've, we've got native, native oysters and we, we were running a trial or we have been running a trial between ourselves and our, our closest neighbor who's a, a, an oyster farmer and, and his system is the more traditional intertidal. And um, we've been getting some really interesting results out and the native oysters at the farm have done really well. And I say just this shows you can use the site for more than more than one thing. Um, but we also I also grow sort of green seaweeds um, and reds. So I have done some work with with Dulles uh, and cultivating it because that's the problem. Oh, there's a slight issue. You know, some of the seaweeds get popular. Um, the danger is you you end up removing too much from an area. Uh, and something like Dulles, um, it, it doesn't. It hasn't got a what we would describe as a wide dispersal, a geographical area wise when it reproduces. So if you do get someone coming in and clearing an area, it could take it a while to come back into into the area. So it, so for us, cultivation is about you know, trying to secure what's there, so trying to minimise potential environmental damage, um, and also it's 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 interesting. Sorry, from a from a science point of view, it's quite interesting to see how these seaweeds grow and and how the environment actually affects what they do. So, I did have a student who worked on pepper dollars, which is another red seaweed, and that's it, it's the taste it's it's harvested for. Uh, and that was really interesting about you know following how how the environment how it grows how that then affects its flavour and to get that flavour, um, and then can you can you mimic that you know with the growing conditions artificially and you can, uh, and again that that just means if there's pressure on again that seaweed then there's a, there's a, there's other alternative ways of growing it to try and remove the pressure on wild stocks. Yeah. And do you feel that uh, any of the issues with the environmental impact or on affects them? Or it's interesting what you're saying about the dulse. Dull, I'll call. I'll keep calling the dulse if you don't mind. But it's 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 funny how I I'm, I can exactly hear what you're saying, and I'm with you because. I remember the small fishing village I'm from originally, Helmsdale. There was a rock, and it was known as the Dulse Rock. You didn't get you didn't get dulse on every rock, and but nobody at that time. I'm talking fifties and sixties, and my father was younger, and they used it a lot for different things. Nobody cleaned the rock. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, there's an education element, you know, so, you know, people going out foraging, it, it's actually, there's a bit of an education about how you should actually harvest. So, you know, you can make sure that the, the seaweed can carry on growing. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, sometimes people, I'm not going to say it's a lack of respect, but I don't think people think about, you know, they see it as a free resource, but then they don't see the, the wider picture. Um, and that, you know, if you don't respect it, then um, it's not going to be there always for you to go back to or, or for others 
as well. Michelle, I don't think you need to feel that you're going to upset anybody. You're certainly not going to upset me. I totally resent it with you. It is a lack of respect. If they clean an area, it is a total lack. It is a lack. It's a lack of understanding and respect. Right. So, so I definitely, I, I think there's there's an education element in this, um, and getting people to value what's what's in the marine environment. Yeah. I mean, it's got its uses as well. When I was a kid and uh, before starting work and wanting pocket money, obviously what we all used to do is pick, you know, the wilks, like the wee black winkles on the beaches. And my father had me uh, well-trained and we used to get the big tangle. We used to call them tangles, the kelp. And I would put them in pools and leave them, and the wilks the wilks would stick to them. So after a while, you would just pick up the tangle, stick it over the, your sack, and shake it. <laughs> so it was a lot better than breaking your back bending. Yeah, it's it's there, there's some really good people out there. I mean, there's a, there's a um, guy called Lewis, and Lewis and Harris. Um, who actually does the harvesting for um, Harris Gin um, of uh, sugar kelp, uh, and he's really good, very passionate about you know what he's doing, making sure you know he, he he's say so he's very good about how how he harvests, and he he does fly into restaurants as well, um, and I think that that's it. It's just I say it's an education element with people, um, but again as well there there's there's also, you know, for some people, there's still a bit of a stigma um, about, at times, you see, we'd seen as a, a poor person's food. Um, you know, so from an Irish point of view, yeah, um, with the potato famine, um, there was particularly a brown species of seaweed that was eaten uh, because that's that's all you could get, a thing called palvicia. But I think that that's the other thing. It, it, it's, again, it's education. And, and getting people to respect um, what's there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's a very good friend of mine, Sam Britton, his name is, he's in, he's in the Orkney Islands. He's made a wonderful, uh, he calls it Orkney craft vinegar. And he starts with a, the, the yeast and makes a, like, like a, makes a beer, much of it and two of his products one is sugar kelp and the other is smoked dulse so he actually gets the dulse from the beach and smokes it and they're absolutely outstanding products you could actually well he caught they are probiotics you can actually take a swig <laughs> as if it's a dram and uh, it's so good for you yeah i think i, I- he did do James Martin a few, uh, maybe a That's couple right. of months ago. So he was on on James Martin, yes. Yeah. Um, That's so, exactly. so, That's him. Yeah, that 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 was very interesting. It's 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 there's quite a push in terms of food for seaweeds, but there's there's also people looking at you know a higher value, 
Um, and that's in terms of, of, of other products. There's everything from um, some people are interested in bioplastics through to um, uh, replacement leather uh, as well. So, so there's, there's a lot going on with seaweeds at the moment. You talk about the potato famine. One of the jobs I least liked when as a child was wheeling it up on a barrow from the beach and putting it on the drills of my father's tatties. Right, lazy beds, yeah. And it was it wasn't a case rotted or anything. It was just straight onto the you know you plant the potatoes and the drills the seaweed goes straight into it and fantastic. Yeah, it's, I get, and and there's you know some of the some of the industry is actually I mean that, and that's where you, again if we go to Lewis, um, Hebridean seaweeds, uh, and uh, they I visited their factory before just before COVID shutdown, so the February, and it was interesting because what they were doing they they harvest mainly Ascophyllum, so rack. Um, and they were converting the factory so they could get extract out of it. And that, that's, again, that's a, a plant growth stimulant. So you're just expanding what, what they were actually doing with the seaweed. Uh, and again, you know, for that sort of industry, they're actually quite, they are very well regulated and they're really good about how much material they're taking out, making sure, again, that it's, it's regrowing uh, and they're minimizing any impact that they're having. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, one of the things that I always uh, feel at, at, it's a lack of understanding, as you said earlier, with uh, the public when they're on a beach, is they just see seaweed. At, when it tides out, they see it lying flat on a rock and they think there's there's nothing to it, there's no life or anything, but... You know, I, I just think it's so interesting the fact that when the tide comes in, there's different heights, and you know some of them of the air. What what's that ones with the air pockets? So, so the the air bladder. So you get that with um, fucus, so different okay. types of fucus, and you you have that with asco. So that's um, rack as well. It's got the little air bladders, and that means it yeah then then can float. Yeah, and I just think it's fun, uh, amazing how for small fish and sea life in general, it's it's giving different cover and food and, and everything to a whole amount of uh, different life. Yeah, and, and yeah, you if you have a look at the kelp beds as well, you know, it, it, it's fish nurseries. Um, even has a role, you know, uh, you have a look, we, we had a, a student who, who did a study on Eust and the, the beaches at Eust and you get a lot of seaweed, you know, storms come through, you get a lot of seaweed washed up in the beaches there and even the role that plays environmentally, you know, like ecologically, you know, supporting um, even during the winter uh, because you get sort of two metre high kelp washed up in the beach uh, and that's it's it's warm inside because it's starting to rot, and because it's warm, um, it means you get insects in it, and then you get seabirds coming in, migrating seabirds coming in and eating eating the insects. So it's even a role it has 
you know, even even when it's 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 on a beach starting to rot, it it has a role. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I never thought of that, but that's exactly right. And it's part. I mean, one of the other things I feel is so strongly about this is is seagulls, a bird, seabirds, and when I I almost I cringe when I hear people trying to do like arrange culls and that because they reckon that they're making a noise and they're dirty and they're going inland at times further inland but it's food that I mean it's like it's like it's like ourselves as humans they're they're feeding young and looking after their families and I think it's just outrageous in fact I go maybe some people would say too far you they they want to get a cull of seagulls if they've you know the people have rubbish outside and they've maybe burst the bag and and with their beaks and that and they've made a mess and rather than put their <laughs> be responsible and put it in a bin and but they're you know what i feel a rat they don't hear and they don't see, so there's nothing done about that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, 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 again, there's an educational, you know, seabirds will go inland if there's a storm at sea. You know, it, it, it's, um, it's not an unheard uh, you know, occurrence. And you're right about rubbish. If the rubbish isn't put away properly and they're after food and it's easy food, then, then the seabirds are going to do it. Seagulls are going to do it. So it's easy food. Uh, rather than hunting for it, yeah, if, if somebody's going to to leave something that they can eat, they're going to they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine the, uh, a situation being on a beach, a harbour, a fishing village, and there's and you don't hear the sound of seagulls. It would be, <laughs> I wouldn't feel I was at the shore. No, you, you you wouldn't, um, and it yeah, the the two go hand in hand. Absolutely, yeah. So so is it in Auburn you're based? So so yes, we're 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 just outside Auburn. We're about two three yeah. miles outside yeah. Auburn. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a nice spot. We're we're right beside Dunstaffinage Castle. Yeah. So so it's quite good, and it's it's good for. For, for seaweed as well. We have a, what we describe as the back beach and there's a couple of other beaches around us uh, and they're very good for seaweeds. Um, so literally you you walk sort of a few hundred yards and you're on a beach. So if you don't mind me asking, Michelle, you arrive on a beach, what do you do? Oh, I go in for a paddle and have like the seaweed <laughs> usually. Um, Good on you. Good answer. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it's usually yeah in for a pa- uh, yeah it's in for a paddle. Have a look. Have a look at the seaweed. Um, as I say it is. It's interesting, and even how beaches change. The same beach changes every year. Uh, so so yeah. Now, in have a look uh, and see what's growing. And what would you do with, you know, do you just keep 
monitor it or do you pick some and um, so there, there's some I eat um you know so there is there's some I some I eat others you know it's stuff you know material we're working on um we're interested in in how it's growing um how the environment affects each year how it grows and then trying to predict in a in a smarter fashion when to harvest so you know if we're cultivating um kelps there, there's a bit of a tipping point about when you harvest it and whether when it's in good condition uh and it's say so it's being smart about that can we can we monitor with a, a sensor boy and that means then we're not having to take boats out every time you know all the time so can we can we start to reduce our carbon footprint with with what we're doing yeah, and what 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 all are you are, is it for the end game with the seaweed? Oh, it depends on the species we're growing. A lot of it is, you know, the interest is in food. Um, but again, some of the interest is in um the products. So we were we've just finished a project with uh, University of Wolverhampton okay. in the Midlands, uh, and that's. That's seeing if you could take the seaweed and, and byproducts of the seaweed. You know, you're extracting something that's maybe a bit more valuable and then using that as a basis for fermentation for a bacteria that produces a polymer that you can, can actually use for um, encapsulation of um, different compounds that you can actually eat. Yeah, yeah. So it's just making making the most most of the seaweed. We, you know, from a food point of view, a project we we had finished last year. Um, we were looking at um, the bacteria that potentially are on the seaweed, uh, and you know, human health, uh, and how you you monitor for for that. And that was with colleagues in Greece. Um, so a lot of it is, it ranges everything from population genetics. So how diverse a population is in a particular area. And that's important if you're cultivating because the, the last thing you want to do is, is have an, an impact on the wild populations that are there. So ensuring that you're using material that, that's from the same area. And actually the licenses have just changed uh, and you have to say in Scotland where your your seeded line, where your seaweeds come from, which is, you know, it, which is good. Um, through to you know, what's actually in it and, and what potentially you can use it for. Uh, and we have we have done energy projects and and that's the last thing that you maybe want to do with the seaweed. And, you know, that's like when you've got everything else that's interesting out of it, um, a thing called anaerobic digestion. So producing methane gas that you can then, um, I'm going to say burn, but you can actually use that to drive um, combined heat and power plants. Uh, so, you know, can, can you do that? Are, are you going to have to use it? You know, can you use the seaweed alongside other other materials, biomass that's going into into that sort of system? Um, at the moment, I've got a project with we we have a small company in F, a micro SME that's on on our site called uh, Crewbag, and that does work um, textiles. And we're looking again at using dulles for for dyeing wool. Um, so it can be a bit of a can be quite a variety of different things happen. Yeah, one of the things I you'll 
be able to go know more about it than me, but one of the things I was fascinated with, and it was only later uh, in, in life that I almost stumbled across it, uh, I was, you know, the what the seaweed that the Japanese made famous, nori. Oh, yes, and, nori, yeah. And it's, and you obviously use it in sushi and stuff like that. Well, we, I have uh, rock, there's certain rocks that I've, uh, we've, I've got it, we've found it in, up, up our way. But what, one of the things that absolutely staggered me, and I didn't really think of it before, it's very seasonal. Yeah, so um, that, it, that's an interesting one because that, that's lava bread as well in Wales, and it and it is and it is very seasonal. Um, and actually, in Wales, they used to have um, drying huts along the coastline that they used to harvest it and, and would air dry it. There's only there's only one hut left, um, but it's it's the same same seaweed. Uh, and yeah, it is. So seaweed do have a seasonality to them. I didn't realise that until I went, to, and I I would go for this nori, and I wouldn't get it. And then this time, then maybe later on, I would get it, and it, I I kind of worked it out. Gee, it's a seasonal. Mm. So it's it's not so much with kelps, big big brine seaweeds. They they can live up to seven years. Um, but some of the others, yeah, there's the seasonality to it. Um, all the sea lettuce as well, you know, that's, that's got a seasonality to it. Okay. Um, so, so, so yeah, uh, and it's, again, you know, some of them don't like summer conditions, so they'll die back in the summer. Some are happier in higher light levels, and, and they'll, they'll, you know, you'll get more of them over the summer. Um, again, some of them don't like yeah, you know, the lower light conditions over the winter, so they die back over the winter. Some some others are, are happier over the winter. Yeah, and what are, they're obviously, I mean, in modern terminologies, a lot of the seaweeds would come into the bracket that we call now superfoods. Yeah, I don't like the term superfoods. I have to confess. <laughs> Um, but it is a yeah. superfood. <laughs> well, again, there's variety, and it depends on the seaweed, um, and you know, it depends on what you're after and, and, and what's what's in it. Uh, I'm thinking and, of the mineral, why, you know, the natural minerals. So the natural, yeah. So um, yes, something like dollars, if it's treated in the right way, that's that's got a high vitamin E content. Um, and it's the trace, the trace minerals. Um, some of it, people will say it's the protein, um, so a good source of protein. But again, that depends depends on, on on actually how you're getting at the stuff that's in the seaweed. You know, when you eat, eat it, um, and how it's how it's broken down. Because you're still, I'm not going to call it a plant. People who work with seaweeds get very annoyed because technically most seaweeds aren't 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 plants, they're photosynthetic organisms, so they, they use light to grow. Uh, but, you know, it, it, they still have, you know, cellulose in their in their walls. So it's how you break that down to be able to, to get it at you know, the goodies uh, and how it's treated and how it's been prepared. Um, so something like nori, I mean, that that's, you know, 
we actually we went to a conference in in South Korea a few years ago, and we did the the tour and went to uh, Wonga, which is the main seaweed growing area in South Korea, and it was brilliant. So we we went to a nori factory, and it's even how that you know how the materials treated, um, you know it's it's heated, chopped. You know, and then it's formed into those squares that you you recognise as nori. So it goes from being red, red to green. Um, so yeah, so it, it yeah, it's very much how how it's been treated, how you can then actually get at what what's what's in the material because you know we don't produce the enzymes that necessarily break down the cell wall, so you can get at get at what's inside. Uh huh. And a, another modernism, which I th- actually think it's quite good to a degree as well, although I don't like a lot of the new sort of ways of, with things like seaweed. But I think, you know, some of the sh- uh, the chefs really, and uh, they've, you know, they've given it names. Like, I mean, we always, the green seaweed, we got a lot in the rocks. I mean, they call it sea lettuce now, and I think that's a great idea. <laughs> but that's that's actually it's always been known as sea lettuce. That's okay. that's it. That's it's yeah. So it's um it's a species called Alva lactuca. Um, it's a great one because I don't know whether you remember back to the Beijing Olympics. Oh yeah, and there were you know where they were holding the yachting events, and there was these pictures of all this green seaweed and that was sea lettuce okay. that had to be cleared out of the way before before they could actually hold you know hold the event um it's it's an interesting seaweed um uh, and it's yeah it's quite a good it grows you know if it's got enough nutrients it will it will cause blooms is the best way of, of describing it um but it's it's one of the yeah it's it's an interesting one it's it's fascinating just listening to you, Michelle, and it's almost like plant life. You, do you reckon that all the different seaweeds have all different minerals and nutrition? So they yeah uh, they all they all so they all have um, at a very basic level. They all have protein. Um, sugars, lipids, and then they have their pigments. Um, and that's at a very basic level. But those those levels of those compounds vary depending on the species, can vary depending on the time of year you're harvesting. And then they have other trace minerals, um, trace compounds in there that can affect the flavor. And again, there's you know time of year when you harvest, you know, best times, not so good times. Um, there's things like iodine content. So, you know, if you get too high on iodine content, then the seaweed can taste bitter. Um, so, so there's yeah, there, there's just, there's a great deal of variety. I mean, I, I again, I don't think people realise that the environment um, has an impact on how the seaweed grows and whether it can get all, everything that it needs to grow. As I, and then that varies depending on the time of year. And that, that's like anything on land as well, you know, there's you know there's a seasonality to it that's that's what i think is a is maybe not 
so widely known about seaweed because it's taken for granted, really, I suppose. It's just lying on the beach. Yeah, it 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 is, and it and it's again, it is quite yeah, it is quite fascinating because people think yeah, it's just there, lying on the beach, not really doing anything. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, but you know, it has a role to play. You know, it's very important to the to the ecosystem. Um, and yeah, and it, and it is very much an education. Yeah, you know. The area I go up here for dulse, it's a small bay, and it's just a certain it, where it where it is. You need a good low tide to reach it, and uh, what we call the stream tides. You know, is with the full moon and uh, when there's yeah. a good stream tide. Uh, well, and that's when I go to that area and and get. The dulse. Now, I went one time. I it was in a like the one of the first quarter or second quarter of the moon phase, and it was dull tides, so it wasn't going. It wasn't ebbing the same, and I went along just to see if I would maybe just get close to a bit, and the the area where I get it, 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 it was full of water. The bay it was full of water, and there were, I counted the heads of nine seals, and I and I thought to myself, well, well, it's your turn now. I'll get my turn <laughs> in a few weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, I do love a low tide. Yeah, spring tide. Spring tides are fantastic because you know you can just get the so things like some of the you know some of the red seaweeds don't like um, too much light. So that's why, okay. you know, they're, they're further down the beach. And that's why usually, you know, for some of them, you can't get at them unless you have a really low, you know, low tide or, you know, spring tide. And that, that's that's when you can, you know, it's easier to get at them. Um, and so, yeah, they, they all have their own place on, the, on a beach as well, depending, you know, you know, what sort of conditions they like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where do you see your research going? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy growing seaweed, trying different types of seaweeds, um, and just seeing what happens. Um, so, I, you know, at the moment I've got uh, a student who's just finishing off a master's. Uh, and we're looking at a particular red species. It's not native to Scotland and we wouldn't grow it outside. Um, it's something we've been growing in the lab. And it's the one that everybody's been getting very excited about for, you know, if you feed it to cattle, it reduces methane production. Wow. And that project was a bit, I'm not going to say it was a bit of a laugh, um, but it was just to see whether we could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we put it in a thing called a photobioreactor, which you're not supposed to be able to grow seaweeds in. And we, we we've had it grow in a photobioreactor, and again that was just to push push the research a bit and see what we can do and what we what we can't do. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 a challenge of of being able to grow things, um, but actually just understanding them more and understanding how how they grow naturally and how the environment you know, supports their growth, how things are changing as well and, and whether that's going to have an impact. 
on the seaweeds and what sort of seaweeds we get. And again, on on their growth. You notice? Do you notice a, a, a change? So it's interesting. I was having a, a conversation with one of my colleagues yesterday, um, Mike Burrows, who does a lot of survey work with seaweeds, uh, and we were just looking at at again, the back beach and some of the rocks. And and you've got a. It's interesting. You've got a line where the the fucus has gone, and we were just trying to figure out what's happened to the fucus that year. Um, for you just to get that gap in the rocks. So it's it's an interesting one because you've got to unpick what happens each year and how yeah you know, that can be different. What well, we're not maybe seeing as many changes up here, but you know I do know, say the south coast of England, you're starting to get changes in in the big browns, the kelps, because it's starting to warm up there, and and they don't like warm water. So you're getting getting a change in in, in patterns and distributions. Um, so you don't necessarily get it same up here, but what we have noticed is, you know, this last year, you know, the the storms have been coming in in a different direction, and that's maybe had an impact. But that's not to say next year, you know, they're going to be again in that that new direction. And we, you know. So it, it's a difficult one unless you're you're taking long term data sets. You know, you're it, you can miss miss what's actually happening. Yeah, that's really interesting. But going back to what you mentioned about the how the lifespan and some mm-hmm. the kelp, you say seven years. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen as it's uh, my father used to used a very philosophical down to earth way. Uh, uh, describing things and uh, we used to find that with going back to what I said picking winkles the the more rotten and smelling the seaweed the more winkles you got there <laughs> it's again easier to digest get at um, so it's a lot of seaweeds you know when they get washed up on the beach um, other than yeah, you know, some of the yeah you know, the kelps, the ones with the big spikes, you know, that, um, you know that that the spike can can last a while. Actually, dogs like eating the spike. Um, yeah. They can last a while, but actually, the the other material we call phallus tissue, that can start degrading really rapidly. Um, so for some of the kelps, that can start degrading within sort of twenty four hours. Uh, others it takes a bit longer, but yeah, once it starts rotting. Um, it starts. It starts being a bit easier to digest. So, one project we were involved in, it was taking um, kelp biomass after it being fermented for ethanol production, and it was actually taking that fermented kelp and using it as a pig feed, and it worked really well. You know, so just taking what was left over, and and that's the other thing. You know, it's a, it's a bit like you know what you're talking about pickling almost or fermenting you know like cabbage so yeah there there is the possibility with you know with a bit of fermentation that makes it you know a bit easier to digest and a bit more more interesting not suggesting you should try pickling kelp because when it starts to go it does smell quite badly um but yeah so that there's there's interest in again you know can you extract something that's maybe a bit more, well, not more valuable, but can you get the most out of the biomass and, you know, get something something else out and then 
you know, say, can it go to something like animal feed because it's in a it's in a better form to be eaten. You know, it's funny you should say the way I'm just you're just making me think of so many different things, and uh, when you talk about the the smell of the rotting seaweed. I just love that smell, <laughs> and it's and it's funny. My wife is from farming people, you know. Her dad was in the sort of farming people in Ayrshire, and she loves the, she, she loves the smell of cow's manure. <laughs> so it's 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 it, yeah. It's that smell. I mean, it's even the smell is just very, you know, for from for childhood memories. It just brings that back. I think for a lot of people who who've spent, you know, did spend a lot of their childhood on beaches, it's just that 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 sea smell just brings it all back. Yeah, but you know, I'm latching on to one thing, another thing that you say there, uh, which I find really interesting. You know a real bone of contention with our fishermen, our fishermen, as I say, the UK, is there's fishing, there's industrial fishing for sand eels, for the day, the Danes mainly, they're fishing, industrial fishing for sand eels up our east coast, which is the food I mean, sand eels is recognised as one of the most important food for our seafood, our fish, and yet they are fishing our our fish's food for their for pig farms in in Denmark, and I'm hearing you what you're saying there. Is it no? It doesn't no make so much more sense if we do something with seaweed. It it comes down to economics. And how much you know, so at the moment, you know, if you're looking at say seaweed seaweed farming that you you'd need to you know make a dent on an industry like you know like pig feed, um, it's expensive currently to do the cultivation. So, you know, a low cultivation of the kelp, well established in China, on the you know the Far East, um, there they've maybe not recognised as much. Because, you know, again, there's a difference in labour costs. Uh, and what we're doing now and what, you know, what people are thinking of is, is you know, how do you mechanise it? How do you make it cheaper to do it? Um, and, and moving that cost. But there, there's also, you know, again, I think people people miss the whole thing. There's a, you know, there's a conversation. Yeah, and... It's interesting, you know, there's, there's a farm now... Um, South Mull, Southwest Mull and Iona Community Development, and they 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 have a seaweed farm, and that this is their first year, and it's interesting there because because it's community. Yeah, you know, they they had a had a conversation with the local fishermen, and they actually asked them not to put the farm in the first place, and that was fine because you know it's this conversation, and they you know and they had a conversation, they listened to each other, and I think that's that's the whole problem sometimes of you know there's not that communication right at the beginning before someone decides it's a good idea um and and they moved their farm and it's worked uh and you know it, it means everybody's being good neighbors to each other as in they're having that conversation but it, it's getting things to a stage where you know you've got a viable alternative 
say, four fishermen. Um, and again, there's, there's having that conversation early, early on rather than going along to people and going, really good idea, do it. Rather than having a conversation with them and going, thinking of, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the pros? What's the cons? How do you think we could do this together? And I think that's something we do need in the marine environment, you know, having those those joint conversations. That's so important. I think that's a fantastic idea. And is this is this just in its first year? Oh, so for work we're we're doing I mean, we've been seaweed growing. No, sorry, I meant the the farming. Oh, the farming. So the the mall, um, the mall farm. That's their first year. You've got a community um, trust up in Barra as well. Um, I don't. I'm not sure whether they put in material this year. Um, so you've got along the west coast. You've got farms starting. There's an, there's another one on um, Sky, and that's kelp crofting. There's one on Arkhamarkin, the peninsula there. Uh, you've got New Wave Foods um, off the little island called Kerrer here in, in, in Oban. So you're starting to get more and more people interested in, in actually growing seaweed uh, and setting up farms. What's happening in Kerrer? Uh, so they're, they're at the end of, I say Kerrer, it's, it's south of Kerrer. Um, so they've been growing for the last few years. So they're, they're interested in, in putting the seaweed into um, food. So uh, I think they, they've 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 actually put it into crisps. Okay. Um, so they're they're interested in food food applications. There's a company up here started a, a shore. Their name is. So they're the same company. Oh yeah. So they do. Yeah. So they do do wild harvest as well uh, as as growing, but again, it, it's cost. So it, it's trying to get the cost down. To make it economically viable. Yeah, they they dry they do they dry it, and uh, you know one of the things you might be able to help me here. I've dried see I've dried dulse to the point, and then tried to blitz it to get it to powder. I've never ever been able to get it dry enough to make a powder. There's, it stays like a flake. Uh, so the thing is, it's it's are you, are you air drying, or are you using something like a dehumidifier? So a dehumidifier. The thing is, uh, so you've used a dehumidifier. It's probably not been been dried enough. So I have to confess, when when we're working with seaweed to be able to do the analysis on it, um, we we use a technique called freeze drying, and that removes all the moisture. All right. Literally removes all the moisture, and then we can actually powder it. Um, it, it comes down to you know, there's probably still some residual moisture in it, and that's why it doesn't want to um, want to sort of blend. I mean, we we use we've used everything from a coffee coffee grinder yeah. to to a blender to get it to powder. <laughs> I know all of that. <laughs> so so it, it's probably still got some residual moisture in it, and that's why it doesn't want to go to a powder. It certainly defies everything I've tried anyway. <laughs> but uh, I, it's just, I just love, I love eating it, even whether it's dry form or on the beach. I just love 
I just love the taste. I love the taste. And it's, but it's, it's really interesting from what you're saying, Michelle, because there's obviously quite a bit going on with seaweed. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very popular thing to be doing at the moment. Uh, and there, there's lots of people looking at setting up farms. Um, and also there, there's interest in, in growing, you know, like, uh, yeah, Dulles at the moment. Yeah, people can't, can't keep up with, with the demand. So there's interest in, in how you can potentially grow it at sea, um, the same way we do with, with kelp. Um, or you know, companies are looking at what we describe as tank cultivation, so being able to grow it on land. There is a company in the US called um, Oregon Dulles, but they're not growing Dulles. <laughs> different species, um, but they just called it Dulles. Um, and and they're 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 putting it into everything, you know, the protein shakes and everything. Um, but again, so they're they're growing out on land in tanks. Uh, and that's just to get enough biomass to start meeting meeting the demands they have. Yeah, it'd be interesting when that starts. If it's if it's something anything like with plant life, because take a, take for example, you get a raspberry in your garden. Okay, it's it's nice, but never is it compare to, to, to when you get them wild in a bush it's 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 that thing it's it's you know whether you're you know it's the variety whether you're you know whether you're replicating uh, you know what's what's growing in 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 the wild and and that's that there's, so there's questions coming up for seaweed in terms of you know again china because it's a very well established industry they already do what we describe as selective breeding so the same way we do with um plants that you would buy in you know, the garden center you know, it's a variety it's been, it's been bred um so there's questions now you know within the uk in europe you know selective breeding is that how you want to go with seaweeds you know do you actually want to have a monoculture the same way you would have with agriculture and we're slightly different. I think people people miss, you know, so within a Scottish context, I have to show what I'm growing is from the you know, the local area originally. And that, that helps with wild stocks and helps not having an impact. But again, it's not really a monoculture because you know, we have all our lines and moorings in. And we don't clear that off. And and you get seaweeds and other things come in naturally and, and they grow on the structures. Uh, so it's not something we we clear off. We leave it there, uh, and you know there, there's that whole question as well. You know when you start putting structures in the water, you know what else is growing on there, and does that help the biodiversity in an area? And you know help the other organisms that's there. Yeah, yeah. It sounds as if uh, Mother Nature still has a hand in it as well. Yeah, and, and I think there, that you know there, there should be a respect for that. Um, I think for some people who who think seaweed, there's a whole thing called blue carbon, um, and that's all to do with you know with you know seaweed whether it captures carbon uh, and how much, and um, people are using that at the moment as leverage for growing seaweed, uh, and it's an interesting one um, because they don't understand that you know. Um, the full life cycle of a kelp or a seaweed where you grow the site selection. So it's like anything, it's choosing the appropriate area. If you're going to grow, cultivate, 
it's growing in an area that that's going to support you know the species you want to grow and that mightn't be you know could be that it may not be the same species I'm growing where we are um, because it's not suited to that area uh, and and again how it grows seasonality to it um, and what you want to actually want the biomass for right at the end you know why you're why you're doing it and what do you want to use it for because again that that's going to be down to you know what the environmental conditions are, how long you grow it for, uh, you know, and uh, um, you know, again, you're getting year-on-year variation because you're out in the sea and things vary every year. Would uh, would the seabed structure have a hand to play in it with those type of rocks and things like that? So no, for what how you're growing, you're not relying on 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 the seafloor again. There is a question of, you know, again, where where you choose to grow, um, because you know it, you could could be you know um, causing shading. And, you know, there's a, a a kelp bed underneath you. I mean, for for what we do, we know that you know under our farm there isn't any other seaweeds. You know, we've got, we've got a kelp bed beside us because that's nice and rocky and it grows there. But actually, under the farm because it's quite sandy. Um, we don't have any kelp that grows underneath the farm, so we're not having that impact on the shading. Um, so again, it's all about site selection, but there's a whole thing on on scale as well, how, how large you're growing, you know, how, how big a scale you're growing on. Um, and again, respecting the environment, you know, because there's, there's what we would describe as carrying capacity. So that's how much nutrients is in there, how much of that nutrient is actually supporting maybe local populations, and then that potentially dictates how much seaweed you can can grow, so you're not damaging or not competing. You know the local populations aren't competing for 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 how much biomass you you want to grow. That's interesting because uh, I'm thinking when I'm you know on the beach and when you know it's you lift a bit of seaweed and there's crabs, small crabs. You've you've disturbed them, so they're looking for cover and lots and lots of uh, wildlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so important. Yeah, I mean, we we get in um, lump suckers, um, so we we will get those in, and we always make sure that we we you know we put them back in the water, uh, and again you. Because you're not tearing off the structures as well, that that helps give them them a home when when we remove our seaweed. So as a it's it's an interesting, you know, I don't think people start to think about you know it's almost like a field where you know a hedgerow in a field, and you don't want to clear that hedgerow off because that's where the birds and everything go. It's a similar thing, you know, it's having those marine structures in um, and having other things grow on it and it's it's like the the seaweed farm hedgerow it's it's a great it's a great description because that's exactly what it is yeah it's yeah and the farms are the the hedges are so important they're not i don't think there's enough of them now it is no we we got away from that um, and and again, it, it it's a difficult one because you know when you're looking at 
at food and scales needed and what we're growing and how how we grow. You know, so it's it's always that that difficult conversation. Again, it gets back to economics and how much it costs to do it. Um, and you know, if you're you know. If you're a large farm, potentially, and you're having that hedge in the way, it's it's it costs you money because you have to go round it, and you can't just do a straight straight line. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, I um, go back to my father because I just learned so much from him, and we used to be in the beach a lot, and he's uh, explained how even like a limpets. You would see, you would always see the adults. It was like, you know, people don't associate them with families, but it was like that. And he says, if you're, if you're breaking them off to to use them, eat them. There's certain ones you take and ones you leave. Yeah, and that, and that's that again is is you know it, it it's realizing it's an education thing, you know. It's being more in sync with 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 the environment and what's going going on, um, and you know where where you should be taking you know potentially if you're going to take material where you're taking it from, being responsible for, you know being responsible in how you're doing it, uh, and actually you know trying to minimise any impact that you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. Do 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 with the like of a. When you mentioned oyster farm and that, would they use seaweed? Um, so not really, no, because you're you, the oysters eat um, microalgae, uh, and there are advantages in in, in co-cultivating them together. Um, and you know the the oysters we were growing were, were native oysters. So native oysters are very slow growing, not not like the Pacifics. Um, and again, that's interesting for us because you know if we can leave them at the site just to to grow, and it's it's just cleaning off the baskets that they're in. You know, it's the minimum minimum amount that you have to do to to support them. Um, so so no, but you know John John Hamilton. So it's Loch Nell oysters is our closest neighbour. Um, he is interested in setting up his own seaweed farm with with oysters and doing that 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 co-location. But there's some evidence that at a local level, you know, if we're looking at you know because of CO2 increases, you know, the oceans potentially are getting more acidic. And for something like a shellfish, that's bad because um, the shell actually gets softer. Uh, and there's some some work being done in China again about the co-location with with something like oysters and the seaweed. So yes, the seaweed grows, it takes in CO2, but releases out oxygen. And at a very local level, potentially, um, you've got you know you're starting to mitigate very very slightly against those pH changes, and then that helps the you know, potentially helps the shellfish. So there's Again, being work done in in America, where they've been planting seagrass beds. Again, another plant that's taking in CO two to to help their their local oyster industries um, get over any any effects that they're they're starting to have with with ocean acidification and and the shellfish shells getting softer and impacting on their growth. 
It's almost uh, making it sound like what a gardener would call buddy plant. It, it, it's, yeah, it, it's exactly that. And, and this is the whole thing as well, you know, seaweed cultivation is agriculture. It's, you know, you're growing something, you need to be aware of the environment, you know, how that impacts on, on what you're trying to grow. Um, and then, you know, the potential impacts you're having as well and how, how you minimise those. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I've had a podcast recently with a fishery scientist in Iceland. And one of the points he was making is that when they're looking to try to assess the stocks, fish stocks, some of the more, uh, they, they maybe go to sea and count species and try to assess the stocks that way. But he's, he's of the mind, he says, at just looking at a computer, as it's as good as the person that put the information in. He says they need to, he says they need to look at nature. Yeah, it, it's it's having having that respect for nature. Yeah, it's just so important. I would have thought that probably there is no difference when you're talking when you're talking about the aquaculture and. And it's no different from agriculture. No, I, I mean, and it's quite amusing because you know we do at times have people mistake what we're doing the same as you know salmon farming, uh, and it's completely different. You know, we don't we don't put um, any inputs in, so you know it, it's it's the seaweed grows with whatever nutrients are available to it naturally, um, and, and there's an education thing. Yeah, you know, so we we have. Um, you know, you take people out to the seaweed farm and and show them how different it looks there from a salmon farm, uh, and we have a lower visual impact, um, and it just looks completely different. Uh, and that's the whole thing. Is it? Again, because it's a new industry, and new industries can be terrifying because you don't know what it is. It's it's that education element again, and and showing people what it looks like, what what we're doing. Um, and, you know, actually, it's like it's just showing people and starting to take, again, conversation and starting to take some of the fear out of it. I think you maybe been a wee bit too nice. I think maybe rather than showing, it's educating. It is, but but actually, you don't know if you get a conversation going, you, you don't know that someone, yeah, sometimes you get some people will have really interesting insight there's things that you know we're, we're too maybe close to it uh, and they'll have a really interesting insight about well have you thought of um so yeah th there's there's education on both sides i think that's showing a healthy mind because you stay open for other people's ideas and thoughts yeah and i, I think you 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 have to um I say because you you don't know you know it could be that they they come up with a with a better idea of how to do something um, that saves us time um, and a bit of effort uh, and it could be something really small it can it can be uh, you know have you thought of using you know a, a different way of attaching on the lines you know we have changed how we we put so we we seed line in what we call a nursery. Uh, and we've changed, we, we were using pipes, you know, just um, plastic pipes, you know, down pipes, 
drainage, you know, drain drain pipes. Uh, and we've gone for a different dia- diameter, now a smaller diameter, and that's easier for people to deploy. And that was with a conversation with someone who was deploying our seaweed, you know, have you thought of? And, and then doing that and going, oh, that works. <laughs> so so we're we're still still learning. But it's a new, it's relatively new, I would have thought, although seaweed's been around a long time. It's, yeah, I mean, we've been growing since 2004, uh, and that was one of my colleagues um, who's now retired. That was Maeve Kelly started. And that actually, you know, the seaweed growing at Sam started because uh, Maeve's project was looking at reducing the impacts of salmon farming, you know, so using the nutrients that salmon poop out and using that to, to feed the seaweed. Uh, and that's that's where that, that research started and then it's developed since then. Okay, so is that and is there a noticeable uh, is, is it noticeable that there's seaweeds uh, growing in areas where salmon are farmed? Um, I so the, the the industry's played with it, um, and and you do get a positive effect. But again, there's a site selection thing. You know, sometimes the salmon farm's not in the most appropriate area, you know, where seaweed wants to grow. So you know, it, it it's whether you can co-locate the two together, and and it's a difficult one because you end up uh, the licensing's complicated, uh, and you know how you get your license, and you know. Oh, do I want to introduce seaweed? I'm going to have to get another license. You know, so the the licensing in a way needs streamlining. Um, so the licensing can be a bit complicated as well. And then for for someone who's growing salmon, you know, where am I going to put the seaweed? You know, what's the market for that? Uh, and that's that's the issue at the moment. You know, that because it's a new industry, the markets aren't as well developed. So you're not always clear about where the seaweed's going to go and who's going to buy your seaweed. I just I just hope when you're talking about licensing that the people that are issuing the licenses know a little or a lot about seaweed. And, and it's changing. Um, <laughs> it, it's the, the, it, it, it's an it's an interesting one, and and Marine Scotland will say you know they recognise it, um, but it, it's it's a difficult. Actually, COVID hasn't helped as well. It, it's a difficult one. Um, and I think it's it's matching up the policy to the licensing, and there's the, there's the times a slight gap between what the policy says uh, and what you know how the licensing's been done, and and the licensing because again it's a new industry, the licensing changes, and it's keeping up with that. So I have we have a license, so you know our our farm, you know our two farms have licenses. We've got a very small farm at Carrara on the larger farm at at Port of Um uh, and it, it has they both have licenses. So, you know, we we adhere the way same as anybody else who's who's farming commercially to you know, to our license and it is just there's an ed again, it's an education thing. Um, that it's a new industry and how how the licensing and they're they're looking at this, how the licensing can be improved to help the industry, you know, help yeah. the industry along as well. It it must be really quite exciting. It is, yeah, I keep on, you know, I, I started Sam's late 2000 and 2006 uh, and it's been non-stop since I started and I keep on actually sort of hoping for a bit of a break. Um, but you don't, be nice for, but you don't well, really it, want one. 
it would be nice to be able to contemplate your your navel sometimes and have just a, a bit of a bit of thinking space. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been very busy. Yeah, no, I think it's usually exciting, Michelle. I wonder if you could. Would you have any objections if I come down to visit the site? No, if you if you if you let us know, um, there's not much in the water at the moment. Um, because we've harvested. Uh, so really next, sort of late April, early May next year is probably the best time uh, got, because then you'll, you'll see some uh, seaweed. I've got a lot of uh, uh, a great love for that area. We, if I was to say, my wife and I, we honeymooned in Oban ah. 51 years ago. <laughs> And I've got a lot of good friends, uh, fishermen, down there. So I, it's an area we love visiting, and I would really love to come and see what you're doing. Uh, no, if you, if you let us know, so I wouldn't advise at the moment because there's there's nothing in the water really. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, right, round about sort of April May next year. So um, you, we'll have we'll have material in the water. So do you mind if maybe before then I call you and we could come down? To yeah, just, uh, just let it let I'd us know. Whether, weather dependent, we can plan it out depending on yeah, the weather. Yeah. Oh, but but I'm, of course, uh, yeah. I'm from the fishing industry. We know all about weather dependency. Oh, yes, weather dependent. Yeah, so that's, that's the other thing. Yeah, we are weather dependent. <laughs> the whole yeah, fishing is. Let... The whole industry <laughs> is. Fishing, sure is. Yeah. anything to do with the sea. It's, it's all weather dependent. So, yeah, let us know and we can arrange something. It's Mother Nature. And I often say, I just hope we never, ever find out how she works because we'll screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> not not you, we as you and I, but as a, <laughs> people. Oh, yeah. yeah. But no, so, let, yeah, get in touch with us. Uh, and, yeah, we can, I'm sure we can arrange something. I, you know, Michelle, we've been talking over an hour here and many a person would say, well, how on earth could you talk for a, an hour or about seaweed? But I've just found it so fascinating and I, I can actually see your passion coming through and I can hear it. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I think it's brilliant and it, you must be feel so lucky to be doing such a positive thing with nature dependency as well yeah it it's it's it, yeah uh it's great and and it's interesting to be at something that's just starting um and there's still so much we don't know and you know from my point of view you know you know, establishing a new industry. I, I want to see that it does get established, but I want to see that it gets established in the right way um, and that we bring everybody along with it. You know, it's, it's not a case of, of you know, it, because it's very community. Kenji has a very community-based, you know, and so you just have to look at, at you know, Southwest Mole. Um, and it's just, you know, if we can bring everybody along with it, that that's great as well. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're you were saying there about the pig farming. When you say the cost, yes, and everything does come down to a cost at the end of the day. But just imagine the cost 
of uh, taking the sand, all the sand deals, fishing out the sand deals where our fish haven't got, uh, haven't got its their natural food. Well, what cost is that? But again, it's an education thing, and and there's not always that. Yeah, it, it it's a difficult one because you know people people's living depend on that. There's not maybe the the sort of thinking ahead, which is not necessarily that community's fault. Um, because if you're not providing them with an alternative, yeah, and that's their that's their livelihood. And again, you know, you can argue it out that you know if you keep on doing it, you won't have a livelihood in you know ten, twenty years, or whatever time. But it it it, it it's difficult for people to to you know. You know, what what's my alternative? What you're giving me as an alternative? You know, I've done it for years, and and it's it again it comes down to conversations and and education on, on both sides, uh, and you know, it, providing people with an alternative. Um, I mean, of course, you know, it's, it's like everything in life. You, you know, you'll get some people who who won't who don't want to change what they do. Um, uh, and you can, you know, you you just have to have that conversation with them, a kid, uh, uh, and and see whether you can compromise and, and meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, but it's 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 a difficult one. I say, you know, it's people's livelihoods, and uh, you know, it, it's it's whether you're you are providing them with an alternative. Yeah, yeah, but the way you say that is right. Uh, you have a conversation, and it's working with people, but. Really, what we're talking about here is that conversation is with nature. Yeah, the conversation is with nature, and I think again that that sometimes people don't recognise that. You know, if something's always been there, people expect it to always be there, and then it's a bit of a shock when it disappears. Yeah, yeah, but p- places that are. Uh, dependent uh, are aware of that. Uh, the, the Faroese, I do. I've, I've used in the, my fishing days. I've done a lot of business in the Faroes, and they joke jokingly describe their the as a land of maybe. Because maybe maybe it'll be stormy and the boat won't sail. <laughs> maybe it'll be okay and it will sail. <laughs> yeah. I visited the Faroes. It's a it's a nice place. Oh, I think um, it's. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a nice place. Lovely but it's people. A, it, yeah, it, it's 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 just it's it's having that conversation and you know what's the alternative? Is there an alternative? Have you thought of? Yeah, it's it's having having the conversation. You know, if you don't mind me saying it, Michelle, I can just picture you, welly boots. Sitting, sitting on a rock, on the beach, talking, asking Mother Nature. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> well, if you know, I I think we'll wrap it up, and I th- can't but thank you so much. I've really, really been fascinated with the conversation, and I think it's admirable what you're doing, and. What a fantastic job. No, thank you. I mean, yes, I, I, I do have a great deal of job satisfaction. Yeah, I can see that. I can see it. And, you know, you're, you're, I love your, I love your respect. It's, 
yeah, I mean, you do have to have that respect because, you know, you want to work with nature, not against it. Absolutely. And fortunately, it's not a word we hear as much of these days as we would maybe like, but it's important. Yes, it is important. Yeah. Michelle, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. No, thank thank you. What I would like to do, if you didn't mind, my friend in Orkney, Sam, who's done vinegars, I would love a conversation with him and yourself in the future because he's got other things to add to that that as well, you know, and I'm sure you would find it fascinating. Even maybe the guy in your friend in Harris who's doing the Oh yes, Lewis and Har- yeah. So yeah, no, that would be interesting to have a conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All the no, best thank you. you very much, Jim. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters Podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch through my website, seafoodmatterspodcast.com.